Welcome to Brown Brothers Book Banter, the podcast where Kenneth and Kyle dive into the vibrant world of children's literature. Join us each week as we explore the enchanting realm of books featuring insightful interviews with renowned children's book authors, discussions on the latest title releases, and inspiring conversations with passionate librarians. Now, here are your hosts, Kenneth and Kyle Brown. Well, welcome to uh, Thanksgiving break, Kenneth. Yes, it's a fun time. You know, I mean, we uh, have so many library friends and customers. It's nice to have a week that is definitely shared to where we actually get a vacation because so many times the breaks are staggered, even spring break now, Christmas break, you name it. There's always, it seems like most of our schools are out, but there's still a few and we don't truly get days off. So it's really nice this week. You know, I think I've had two emails from people who are trying to work on it on, on the holiday and I've actually been able to get some things done and take a deep breath and, you know, reinvigorate and get ready for next week. Well, I had one phone call yesterday and then ever since then I have been working on my Lego Winter Village. Well, that sounds so- fun. Yeah, so um, back during the pandemic, my wife and I were looking for something to do. So we went up and we found all my son's old Lego and we started building it. And then we found that he had some sets. Now, hopefully he's not listening to this because we found some sets that were like one set we had bought for him. I think it was for a hundred bucks and it was worth a thousand dollars. Yeah. And so we sold that set and... uh, we found this uh, Facebook group called um, Fans of the Lego Winter Village. And so we've just, for the last, uh, this will be our third year, I think, we we do a Lego Winter Village. And um, it's just a lot of fun. And we don't really have anybody come over. It's just for Stephanie and I. But uh, we we uh, we have a good time doing it. So um, you ought to check out the, uh, the Lego Winter Village because there's some people that do some amazing display so we're we're not quite to the level of some of these other places but um i i feel like i have my own little maker space in a way um doing the legos and or lego i did learn oh yes lego (laughs) plural for legos is actually a lego so lego is lego so well I've, i've never been good at anything like that i've never been a creator at lincoln logs Legos, you name it, all those different things. I mean, like if there were step-by-step instruction, I could build it. But when it comes to the creative aspect and trying to build something with it, that's always been a no for me. Um, so I don't. I maybe the stuff that you're building, you're following directions. Uh, so, but but still, uh, you know, besides stepping on a Lego now and then, and <laughs> that's a painful thing. Uh, I don't really, I don't have any very much experience with Lego. Is there anything from your childhood that maybe is making a comeback? I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I never had a record. I never had a record player. But I do believe that you had a record player, if I remember correctly. Did you I had a record player. I still think the first record I truly had was Queen the Game. Okay. And I was at a friend's house and uh their son it was like my our parents friend's house and their son was a dj and while we were there we turned the radio on and the guy said 
we're having a thing where the seventh caller can win queen the game. This is the one with another one bites the dust, you know, a crazy little thing called love, all that. And I called in and sure enough, their son, who's the DJ answered and I won. And uh, that was really cool. And then I built, you know, you know that, you know, that uh, Columbia house thing where they would give you albums albums for a penny (laughs) and then you never pay them and all that. Anyway, I have some of those. So yeah, I had some albums back then, but, uh, I don't think I actually own any in my house right this minute, but it's sure is making a comeback. So do you remember there was, there was an album and it may have been that queen one. I don't remember, but I remember being in the room and you were playing this song and mom came running into the room because she thought a plane was about to crash into our house. If I remember it correctly, what I think was it was that? called The Game, and I think it was on that album. Okay. And it starts off with this really loud kind of a it, – it, it sounds like an airplane is about to crash into your house. And, you know, our dad had a great Wi-Fi or whatever you call it, but a hi-fi, a great setup, and he could blare. And, uh, yeah, I turned it up one day, and uh, our parents just uh, freaked out just a little bit on that. I, I remember that. I don't remember a lot. Uh, I turned 50 a couple weeks ago, and – and uh, I've been happy birthday. Uh, Brandon was actually texting me my cousin about a birthday party and asking me something from a birthday party that he had growing up. And I couldn't even remember anything of the birthday party. So I'm I'm pretty much um, I my past is slowly going away. But let me tell you, I can remember mom running into that room. And then there was another song and I <laughs> it was. <laughs> It was by Loverboy. Do you remember that song? Do you remember we were playing that? And mom came running in and she was like, do you even know what those words mean? <laughs> I think that was, uh, this could be the night. The yes, night that's what it was. That's what it was. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, uh, our mom, was, by the way, our mom is great. <laughs> we oh, love yes, it. without <laughs> a doubt. But there it's, are times. She was a little strict when we were little. Yeah, no MTV. And, Unless she uh, was gone and we turned it on. Yeah, we did do that. I actually just recently finished a book that you might be interested in. It's a nine plus interest level, just to preface that, but it's called The Midnight Library. Um, if you've read The Midnight Library, you might send us an, an, an email and let us know what you think about it. But I really think that you would like it, Kenneth. I mean, I, I've kind of always been a, a what if type of person. Um and it's kind of like that. It's it's it starts out a little dark with with a, a a female character that is basically deciding to die. I guess is, is without putting it any other way, and um, she ends up in this place called the Midnight Library, and it's full of volumes. And there's a a, a librarian from her childhood that is the librarian in this thing called the Midnight Library. And every one of these books in this building is like a fork in her life of decisions being made. And so this librarian encourages her to um, find a place, a pivot point, if you will, in her life that she thinks would have been better than the life that she was given. And so I don't want to go too much into detail, but it's pretty fascinating. And it kind of really makes you think about and appreciate, um, you know, almost appreciate the life that you that you have uh, a little bit more instead of thinking back about, oh, well, what if I had done this? You know, I've, I'll be honest, I've been with Pervound now for 27 years and I told myself I would do it for three years, you know, and I often think, 
what would what would my life be like today? I know that I would not have as many uh, wonderful friends uh, that I do um, if it wasn't for this job. And I wouldn't be working with my brother, which is a joy. And uh, so, so what about, is there anything well, that, you, you uh, mentioned a fork? Well, hold on. You mentioned a fork in the road. You yeah. know what you're supposed to do when you get to a fork in the road? I do not know. Take it. Not? Take it. <laughs> Take it? Yeah. Oh. I, I don't think I told that right, but there's something about uh, Yogi Berra had a saying one time: when you get to a fork in the road, take it or something like that. So okay. I think I probably messed that up. But anyway, uh, but but also you said thankful, being thankful of where you are. You know, I was in church this Sunday and they showed something where uh, uh, some people who did uh, work in Africa, missionary work in yeah. Africa, and they were showing actual video of these people in a a dump. And they would wait for a dump truck to to dump stuff, and they all were sitting there sifting through it for food. Mm. And my gosh, I mean, that really that hit me. Yeah, you know, we we do have it so well, you know. And you think about kids these days in America saying life's not fair. Well, if they saw that, you know, so we have so much to be thankful for, and uh, you know, between family and. Uh, you know, our jobs and uh, just so many things to be thankful for. It's, it's a great time here at Thanksgiving to just be thankful. Remember that. We are we are thankful for uh, for our customers. And, you know, I know we talk about our customers a lot. We're thankful for the, the ones that aren't who um, are doing great things. I mean, there's people in our state who are librarians that we honor. We, we think they're great. They may not buy books from us. But they're out there on the front lines helping the kids every day and helping them love reading and helping them do all those things. They may just have some personal preferences. So, uh, you know, I call all my librarians my customer friends, but I really feel like you and I are friends with any librarian oh, in the yeah. state. You know, we support them. We're their biggest fans. And, uh, you know, that's what it is. So anyway, we're thankful for everybody, all the teachers and librarians in Oklahoma school. What about new releases, Kenneth? How do publishers approach weeks like this of Thanksgiving? Do they pause new releases? Do they put out more new releases? What'd you find out this week? I'm glad you asked that. That's very perceptive because there are fewer this week. Uh, in my searching, uh, the major publishers had a very light sprinkling of new books in fact one of them that'll sound really familiar is arthur spiderwick's field guide to the fantastical world around you so if you know the spiderwick chronicles and all that um this is a refreshed edition that has come out more vibrant additional content and other things so that's kind of a reissue another one that's not really a new book but cabin fever Diary of Wimpy Kid number six. Oh, yeah. Uh, they they put out a new book that just has a new cover that relates to it's kind of exclusive cover image to celebrate the Disney production of that. A uh, little cute little uh, lower grade book, Q Pig, the Valentine's Day Pig. Sounds fun. Uh, Q Pig's arrow goes off course and strikes the wrong topics and the must rectify the mistake and get some classic pairs back together. Seems like maybe uh, they released that the wrong time of year. 
tonight. Yes, but I think it's maybe just in advance, you know, um, which reminds me in advance. Uh, next podcast, we'll be talking about great Christmas books to read aloud in your library. So oh, nice. here, that next week will be the end, last week of November. That'll give people time. We had a lot of great responses to last week's re uh, request for information in our newsletter. We'll be putting that out. Okay, so a YA series, Skyward, number four, Defiant, has coming out. Um, so you might look for that one. Ink Girls is a middle-grade graphic. It's... Uh, Basically, two girls are trying to join forces to fight censorship and protect the people they love in a vibrant city that thrives on trade and invention. Here's a popular lower-grade series. Island Snow is the name of the book. Isla of Adventure. This is the sixth one. Uh, all these are in Permabound, which means that they are very popular. Uh, another one that's a lower grade, three important jobs. After finding Little Mouse, Floppy Rabbit, and some prickly bushes, Wolf Cub takes them to Big Wolf, the dentist, for a visit. Is it a visit or is Big Wolf hungry? I don't know. And then the last one is a lower grade. When the Stars Come Home. This one has four starred reviews. When Ojig moves to the city with his family, he misses everything they left behind. Most of all, he misses the sparkling night sky. Without the stars watching over him, he feels lost. There's so many times I go out in the backyard and it just happens to be dark enough to see all the stars. And I can imagine moving to somewhere like New York City or some big city where there's just too much to be able to really see the stars. So I'm always thankful when I get a good glimpse of the stars and I can see how a kid moving from the country or way out wherever in the middle of nowhere, moving to the city, that seems like that might be tough. So that might be a good one for the lower grades. And that's that's really all. I mean, I searched. There's some other ones, but those are the most notable ones for this week. All right, so on next week's podcast, we, uh, we've already established we're going to talk about Christmas books to read aloud. One of those books is How the Grinch Lost Christmas, I'm assuming. And our good friend Alistair, Kenneth, I think that uh, you just shared some news with me. What was it? Yes, Alistair Heim, who won the Red Bud for... Great great He's written uh, a few uh, Seuss books, but yep. this is a big one. Uh, it came out in September. We've been talking about it, giving yep. away free signed copies. But it's kind of cool. He's coming to Tulsa, uh, to the Tulsa area, to visit two schools the first week of December. So that'll be cool. Uh, they've sold a lot of books. He's going to be signing them and uh, for the kids. And uh, it's going to be a great time hanging out with him in the Tulsa area. And I think he's going to try to come to Oklahoma again, maybe in the spring. Also, I've heard from a couple of people about having um, some author visits this, this spring. So if you are even thinking about it and if we can help you, then please let us know. If you've already arranged an author visit and you need some other schools to help share in the expenses, then uh, we can also help there as well as helping you get some books. Um, to sell, to have the authors sign. So, well, Kenneth, that's exciting. And I really do hope that Alistair comes in the spring. I know that there will be many people interested in that. So we have a short list of people that have asked about Alistair, but if you are also interested in having him come in, maybe we could convince him to come for an additional week or something like that. Yes, he loves Oklahoma. And the other Red Bud authors, you know, I know that we have a feature on the Sequoias, but the Red Bud authors that we've been interviewing, most of them are very open to visiting. And some of them, Red Bud and Sequoia, 
it's like if you read it as a class or something like that, they're not opposed, some of them, to doing really low-cost virtual visits. You know, not everybody's excited about getting on a plane right now and going across the country, and that expense is ridiculous sometimes. And so, you know, a virtual visit can be equally as effective uh, if you if you do it right. Well, I know that uh, the one of the authors today that we're interviewing, uh, Charlie Grandy, he actually mentions that he would do a free short um, author visit, virtual. So it sounded like maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe he'll read the book out loud of the class or something like that. But uh, if that's something that interests you, you might tune in to this next interview that we have with Charlie Grandy. And right after that, we're going to come right back with, uh, with Jonathan Finsky. And so Charlie Grandy, who wrote How to Talk Like a Bear, Jonathan Finsky, which is the, um, the shark, <laughs> say that title for me, Kenna. It is the unicorn, the dinosaur, and a shark walk into a book. And he talks in that about uh, the next book in that series that's coming out. And uh, so there's, these are both uh, very fun uh, interviews. So here they are. Enjoy Charlie Grandy and Jonathan Finsky. We are thrilled today to be joined by Charlie Grandy, who is an Emmy Award winning writer for SNL and The Daily Show. He's also been nominated for Emmys for The Office, one of my very favorite things ever. But he is nominated for the 2024 Red Bud Read Aloud Award for his book, How to Talk Like a Bear. Welcome, Charlie. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So right off the bat, I got to know, how does one go from writing for television to writing picture books for children? Well, I'll tell you, I had a little bit of an in. My um, sister's cousin, my sister, geez, my wife's cousin is in publishing. And it was a crazy story how this came about with a little bit of darkness, but then a silver lining. I'd flown overnight. My, um, my mother-in-law had passed away very suddenly. And I sort of red-eyed out to New Jersey for the funeral, had not slept in 24 hours. And at the funeral, my wife's cousin comes up to me and says, hey, have you ever considered writing a children's book? And I'm at zero sleep, just my head is spinning. I haven't thought about it at all, but it just kind of planted this seed of like, you know, I have. Like, it's interesting thinking back when I was in college, um, there is just a, a, a library and, and um, Fred Gwynn's The King Who Reigned for 40 Days was there. And it always just one of those things, it was that perfect mixture of just like fun humor and clever wordplay. And I'd always, that had just always stuck in my head. Also a brilliant artist. I wish I was, you know, was the artist as well. But um, it just kind of came down to that, that little seed that planted and then thinking about books that I liked reading to my children. You know, Mo Willems was a huge influence um, when, you know, that was uh, Nuffle Bunny or Knuffle Bunny, however you want to say it, um, was huge. But then all of the pigeon books and the pig and elephant books, I mean, that was really all we read our kids uh, in terms of picture books. Um, it was just that at the time at its height. Um, and, uh, and then I sat down and like so many things and I'm just kind of blue sky. I really do. I just shut my eyes and we'll sit for like 20 minutes and see what comes. And this bear just popped into my head. And then the nice thing, you know, I've been working in television forever. So when you get an idea, it's a lot of work to just like, you got to break a story. You got to write a script. There are a thousand people that have to read it and say, yes, no, it was a process here. 
It's like, wait, this is 32 pages with maybe a sentence a page. And it was a joy just to sit down and kind of do a draft in one fell swoop and really look at it. And that, and it was just such a pleasure. Um, and then to dig in um, and uh, it was, yeah, that was, that's the whole journey, maybe more than you wanted, but that's it. Well, you mentioned that book from the, fa- the past being, you know, funny. And that's, yeah. you know, when we're selecting this Redbud list, so many of them are funny because they're the kind of books that kids want to run to the library for Redbud Day and yeah. hear these books read aloud. And we love the humor in your book. I mean, it's it's really, really funny. Well, thank you. And that was, you know, I'm a comedy writer. That's what I do. I write, you know, as you mentioned, my credits. So it's hard to not think that way. Um, but again, it's also like I wanted a book, you know, having had, you know, have three children that I read to something that the parents would enjoy reading. Um, uh, B.J. Novak's book, the, you know, the book with no pictures, another huge influence. Um, you know, I've known B.J. forever. And so when that came out, that was another seed that planted of like, oh, wow, what a fun, just joyful uh, project to get involved in. Um, just something that's a little silly and, you know, you, you get to share it with someone directly, which is really the wonderful part, as opposed to television, where I never really see my audience. I never have any interaction. SNL live, yes, a little bit, but with books, it's just that one-on-one, you know, I was able to do a reading at a toy store on Saturday and it's great. You just have, you know, five, six kids there and they're laughing along. And this is, you know, a really fun book to get them all involved with. So you can tell us a little bit about the process of you getting matched up with um, Alex Griffith for the illustrations. That was pure. I mean, I, whatever you want to call it, serendipity, luck. It was, we, we'd had, um, we were sort of talking about it again. I'm not really an artist, so I didn't have an idea. You know, it was kind of like, I'll know it when I'll see it, which is probably the last thing a publisher wants to hear. Um, but, uh, they we we'd settled on an artist originally and they worked up some things and it just it wasn't right and then i believe just someone in the publishing house had just kind of stumbled across alex work that day and was like you know i think it might work and it has a bit of that kind of loose richard scary feel to it um which i instantly responded to you know, there's a lot of whimsy to the book i wanted it to be cute i wanted him to be silly and kind of really embrace the the humor of the book. Um, and it was just perfect as it was one of those things where as soon as I saw it, you're just like, yes, this is absolutely the look of this book. And the evolution of the book, were there any changes that anything that got, you know, cut or, you know, was it, was it significantly different than that first draft that you thought up in your head? No, I think it was, um, there was the, the part about getting into focus. I think it was getting, it felt a little repeaty. I think that that idea of just having a bit of a change in terms of the storytelling, a bit of an evolution, I think there might've been before and it like raw, grr, and then maybe, I can't even remember what the other sound was, but it was maybe it was like a sniff or something like that. And we cut the sniff out and then put more just of that exercise of just getting the kids to calm down. Um, And that worked great because, again, you know, I know you're like the one thing when I was writing this is like, I don't know, like I'm asking kids to be really loud. So that's going to kind of I don't know how that's going to go over, especially in a library environment. But I remember from being a kid and there are those times like you'd start the day. It's like, all right, everyone, like get the wiggles out, like just your start your day. And it felt like this would be a good book for that of like, here's your chance to be loud. And then in the book. All right. Now let's bring it back down and uh, calm everyone down within the book. And so that just that moment where they can kind of take a moment and quiet down uh, worked perfectly. 
Yes. And we, we work with librarians every day and they, you know, the old style librarians who wanted everything quiet, they've really evolved into, you know, they love stuff like this. They love the kids getting, you know, participating and they don't mind a a roar or a grr here and there. That's good to hear. Cause honestly, that's been like a pit in my stomach through this whole project. My wife's been like, it's fine. And a publisher's been, it's fine. It's fine. But I'm, I was just, I, I think I flashed back to going to the library for story time as a kid and like any peep just, you know, uh, so that's great to hear. Yeah. So speaking of reading this book aloud during your process, do you read aloud to anyone in particular? Do you have kids that you read aloud to? For this, I, I read it to my wife. She's always been just a, an unwilling but great editor. <laughs> sort of, I guess not unwilling, but forced into being an editor. And she has really great thoughts. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, she was right there with me reading all these stories. And, um, and so then, and then I'll read it to my kids. Um, but it wasn't like the target demo. And I think they're just sort of like, yeah, it's great. It's great. Dad, leave me alone. Um, and, uh, you know, just uh, let me go outside or let me go back to my video games or whatever. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, that was it. So, no, I didn't really have a lot of kids to it's, you know, just kind of everyone who had little kids. They've all uh, of our friends have grown up. Um, uh but then um, we early on did a reading right when it came out at a great bookstore. I'm blanking on the name down in Manhattan Beach. And that was the first time that I really debuted it for kids. And it went over really well. And I was really happy. Um, and that was a, it was a lot of fun. Do you happen to have a copy handy? Would you like to maybe share a couple uh, pages maybe? Uh, cause our, of course, our yeah. Why don't I just uh, start from the top? Okay. Now just be just be warned that um, Zoom sometimes cuts out roars and things like that. So okay, yeah, I'll I'll do it. I'll kind of whisper that part. Okay, all right. I am going to teach you how to talk like a bear. Why on earth would I want to talk like a bear? I'm just a kid. Well, here's why. It's a very simple and effective means of communication. See, you may have thought I said roar, but what I really said was, give me your ice cream sundaes, humans. Even better, talking like a bear is easy. Give it a try. Just take a deep breath and roar. Three, two, one, and go. Roar. Roar. Okay, okay, well, I'm gonna need it to be just a little more powerful. Here's a good test. I put on my fanciest hat. If you can roar powerfully enough to blow it off my head, you've done it right. Now, ready, set, roar. Roar. Ah, so close, you're almost there. Roar. Roar. Okay, one more time. Roar. 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 Perfect. Just one thing. You thought you said, give me your ice cream Sundays, humans, but you accidentally said, go get a haircut. <laughs> so what do you think about Alex's different hairstyles there? Did you like those? I loved them. I loved them. And that might have been, I can't remember. Those were actually, you know, talking about things. I think we pitched on a few of those. Like I'd sent 10 ideas, you know, what would be fun What to my publisher and like what would be fun what would illustrate well and this was the one we settled on and then um he came back and just the sketches i mean that was the amazing thing like 
I had no notes on his art. When his art came back, it was it was it. It was just ready to go. Um, and we have another book in the pipeline um, as well in, in this series. And it was even, even this time, it was, it was exactly, you're just like, oh, this is perfect. He got it right out of the gate. Well, that was one of our questions because, you know, before we started recording uh, with you, we asked, you know, you mentioned that this was kind of a COVID project. And with the recent writer's strike, did that free up some time for this other book or had you already started on it? Yeah, I'd written that, um, gosh, when did I, I can't even remember when we finalized that maybe winter of last year, you know, maybe about a year ago wrote that. And, um, that was another one just kind of sat down and, and, uh, thought it through and, and, um, you know, we involved, we were able to involve Alex much earlier this time. Um, but, uh, it was, yeah, it was, you know, that's the nice thing, honestly. Um, even when I'm really busy, these, books feel like a break. It's just a joy. It's not taxing. And the fact that it's just me showing something to my publisher is an, or an editor is, is so much different than the process that I go through on my day to day that it is, it feels, it doesn't feel like work. It just feels like fun. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, you know, there's, in, if it, you know, my editor is just like, no, nah, I don't think this is working. It's like, all right, great. I'll come up with something else. It's not as devastating as like, we're canceling your show. You're like, oh. <laughs> so I am curious. We mentioned uh, before we started recording that your dad is Gopher from the Love Boat. I hope that's yes. okay that we mentioned of that. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was that the, um, or, or I guess maybe what I'm asking is, how did you get into writing for television? Because there might be somebody that's interested in that. Yeah, I wanted to, I always loved comedy. It's stand-up comedy, you know, and that was my dad. My dad had a lot of comedy albums. Um, and I think Monty Python was the first thing that he really got me into. He'd had other, there was, um, you know, Peter Sellers, there's a, a lot of English uh, stuff sort of predating Monty Python, The Goons Show, I think it was called. Um, and that didn't click. That was kind of still, I'll try to listen to it. And I just don't get it. It's a different language. I don't understand, but Monty Python, I got. And, and at that point, and I think also like comedy was big currency in our household. So making dad laugh was a big thing. So um, then when I got to college, uh, well, actually, no, um, what happened is when I was in high school in the early, early nineties, Rolling Stone came out with an article on the Harvard Lampoon. And I read it and I just was like, oh, this is for me. It was talking, you know, I think the Simpsons had just, there was a time like maybe Conan was at the Simpsons and we're starting to talk about the SNL connection. And, and that just was like, oh, this is what I have to do. And I didn't go to Harvard freshman year, but then I transferred in really just to write for the Lampoon. And, and like anything, when you see people, your peers doing something, it suddenly seems much more doable. Um, and, uh, that one, then, you know, I, I left and actually after college did stand up for a while. And before working on shows, I thought I was going to do that. Um, but with this book, like I much preferred writing to actually performing. I hated performing. It was just like, I didn't like it beforehand. I didn't like it during it. And I didn't like it afterwards, even if it went well, it was not fun. Um, and then, but the writing kind of stuck. So but in terms of like advice, like it's like anything you just, you know, it's a lot easier to be seen now. I think with social media, with Twitter, you have all these tools at your disposal. And there are people I know who will just get hired off of social media. They don't even have a script, you know, because funny is funny. If someone's funny, you know, you can teach them structure. You can teach them story. 
um, you're hiring really their perspective and their point of view. And, um, you know, so, it, but it, it's just make stuff. You just go out and make it. And eventually you will find, you know, as you get better and better and better when you're at that point, I, there's such a need, there's such a need for talent that someone hopefully will, will find it. So uh, to support uh, your book, do you uh, do any school visits virtually or are you just so busy, you know, writing? I've tried. Yeah, I've not done one yet. I mean, that's just been a function of work. It's been hard. And, um, you know, we, we're just busy with kids. Like, I think if I had more time to kind of beat down doors and whatnot, I would. But it's just been difficult to find the time to go and uh, to go and read it. But I'm always happy to. If anyone's listening to this, I'm happy to do it. So if somebody wanted to, to pay you to do a virtual visit for a school and, and they, they would. Oh, I don't okay. even need to be paid. I'd do it for free. I'm happy. Yeah, this is again, this is fun. It's so fun going out and, and reading it. It's just kind of like the icing on the cake. I can't believe it's like, wow, it's just this process just keeps getting better and better. Do you have anything else that may be coming out that uh, you could Tell us about, or are we staying within the bear universe? Yeah. Well, I have, I mean, just in the TV world, um, I have a show. It's more, it's more for teens and adults, but it's on, uh, now I guess it's called Max and it's called Velma and it's an animated show. That's a sort of, um, origin story of the character that I do with, um, Mindy Kaling, who I've been fortunate enough to work with since my time on the office. And that's it. That's sort of what I'm, what I do. Um, that's my day job. Well, we grew up with uh, Velma and Scooby Doo, yeah. right? Yeah. So, that's, so this uh, has that's been amazing. fun, as did I. You know, so it was you know the premise, the thought behind that show was I'm always you know you watch those old Scooby Doo's and you're like, even when they're freaking out, it's still amazing that they want to do this week after week for free, and <laughs> they don't seem to get paid. They kind of stumble into it. So my thought was like, what did they go through that this seems kind of normal to them? So it was just kind of them being put through their paces in, in high school and, and what was even kind of more scary um, beforehand and what shaped them. So that was the, the, the premise of the show. Um, and it's been great. I've loved it. I mean, again, I grew up with, anim with animation. I grew up with picture books and to now kind of find myself at this point in my career and in both of those worlds, is uh, it's just been the highlight of my career. It's amazing. Uh, one last question for me, you know, I hate to bring so much TV into it, but I love The Office. Yeah. Is there anything like, is there a person on the show that you just are really good friends with or, or the, that, uh, I mean, are, are the, all the people seem really nice. I mean, is it Everyone just a was amazing. Yeah, it was, I joined season five. So it was a very well-oiled machine by the time I got there. And from, but, you know, the amount of talent on that show, what they've got on both like the acting side, but on the writing side, what they've gone on to do uh, is just in, in you know, w with Mike Schur, who did The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Rec and uh, Justin Spitzer, who's done um, Superstore and American Auto and Mindy Kaling, who I've worked with really since then on the Mindy Project and uh, Sex Lives of College Girls and now Thelma. Um, it was it was in everyone. And, you know, I've stayed very close with Mindy because of the working relationship and um, Greg Daniels. I'll see it was that, you know, the strike, the only positive of the strike was you get to see all your friends on the strike yeah. line. So that was that was great to bump into these old people and talk about the good times. But it was great. I mean, Steve Carell was incredible. John Krasinski, um, everyone. I, there really wasn't any there wasn't like a bad apple. I think that was part of the way that the reason the show worked. I mean, Greg 
you know, it's lightning in a bottle, but Greg did such a good job curating um, the, the staff and, and the cast. Um, and, uh, you know, and Steve Carell really set the tone on stage and he's just such a wonderful person. Um, mm. That was, it was incredible. A once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm just so lucky to have had that uh, chance yeah, to work well. there. We're lucky to have that show too, because you it's know, amazing. I watch it I mean, it's the amazing the many lives. It just keeps coming back. It's really been, um, it, it's been fun. I mean, it was, uh, you know, of course, it, my kids were like the last ones to watch it. <laughs> the last thing they wanted to do. I think they made it through all of Community and Parks and Rec before deigning to watch The Office, but finally they did, and they liked it. So I was like, "See, I wasn't lying." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's the end of my questions, Kyle. Do you have any? Uh, any left? No, I just I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day uh, to spend with us and to the librarians and uh, that are listening to this. We imagine most of the people that are listening to this are in the literary world. And uh, we're just so thankful that you chose to write books for children, that you stepped away for writing for, uh, for TV for a moment and put out such an amazing book like uh, How to Talk Like a Bear. And it's Laugh Out Loud. It's, uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And we are so excited, uh, to have you join us today. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's been just the pleasure's all mine. It's amazing. I'm so glad you liked it. And, uh, thank you. And for people listening to sign up to win a free book, a free signed book or whatever we're giving away this week, the code word is gopher bear because you know, your dad played it. gopher and this book's about bear. So it's a new animal. Maybe you can write a book about a gopher. Oh, it's a great, <laughs> we'll, we'll work on it together. I love okay. it. Thank you, Charlie Grandy, Emmy Award-winning writer and the writer of How to Talk Like a Bear, which is nominated on this year's Red Bud Read Aloud Award list. Thank you, Charlie. We hope you have right. a great day. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Well, today we'd like to welcome Jonathan Finsky to our podcast. Uh, he is a two-time Theodore Seuss Geisel Honor Award winner for Nothing Fits a Dinosaur and Pig Fox in a Box, and his book unicorn a dinosaur and a shark walk into a book is on our red bud 2024 read aloud award master list welcome jonathan Pinsky. thank you for having me i'm honored to be on the list and uh, uh I, I love the list i love i looked at a bunch of books on the list and i'm just happy to to be included thank you very much for having me well it's your second time to be included we loved your, your book last year something stinks and uh, the librarians and kids, they talked about it all the time. You know, just we really love the way you write and the librarians just can't get enough of your books. Thank you. Um, I like I was talking earlier. I uh, I love librarians. If if anybody reaches out to me eight out of 10 times, it's usually a librarian and, and they just kind of make the book world, the children's book world go round, it seems. So if a librarian likes it, uh, that makes me happy. And I know they'll read it to the kids and it will uh, hopefully enjoy the humor. Well, you have an extensive catalog. We were looking through your catalog of works and extensive, and you've been the illustrator and author on all of them, it appears. Uh, yes, except for one. There was one book I called uh, um, When Carrot Met Cookie that I only illustrated. My a good friend and a, a, a mine, Erica Pearl, wrote it. Um, and uh, she she's just a wonderful person, wonderful author. She wrote that, and I illustrated it. But I have of my thirty books, twenty nine. Yes, I have written and illustrated. Uh, this tank is mine. Was my thirtieth book to come out, so that was kind of a fun milestone for me. Um, and, and your books <laughs> didn't 
at 50 one day i mean that would be a dream but uh you know we'll see and your books all have pretty new copyrights i mean you you kind of have a you you've put out 30 books in a very short period of time and you must be you know drawing and illustrating all the time yes i i am i'm actually right before we got on i was i was polishing uh, um, uh another manuscript that i hope to submit um it has to go through a couple of channels my kids my wife and my agent <laughs> before it sees editors but um um yes i'm i i am very i you know i keep worrying about when will it, when are the ideas going to run out because uh, i think my first book came out in 2012. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes it's been in 11 years it's been um it's been quite a run i've been very very fortunate well you know we know how much you like to read your daughters is has that just been a, a great part of your process is to be able to read things to them as you're creating are they your primary you know sounding board yes they are they are my primary sound, sounding board for sure i mean if it, it doesn't meet their approval uh, it's not it's not going to see the light of the light of day but now they're at the point where <laughs> i don't read to them they 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 They'd be like, yeah, Dad, you know, I'm old enough. I'm good. Um, my youngest is 11, 11, pushing 12. So um, sadly, my days of reading to them are, are gone. But I always, I'll, I'll pull up my text or I'll pull up a sketch dummy that I've done to send out. And I always like, hey, come here, come here. I'll probably crap out of Will you come read this and let me know if, um, you know, what you think? And if they don't laugh, then I get all it's good. Hundreds of teachers are and librarians are going to be reading your book. Would you mind sharing a couple of your favorite pages, maybe, and and show us your voice, uh, how it sounds when it comes out of your mouth? Yeah, yeah, it sounds very southern. <laughs> it uh, let me get the book. It's right over here. I'm going. All right, a unicorn, a dinosaur, and a shark. This guy right here, me, Jonathan Finsky. Uh, here we go. A unicorn, a dinosaur, and a shark walk into a book. <clears throat> I said, a unicorn, a dinosaur, and a shark walk into a book. Sharks can't walk, and dinosaurs stomp. I don't walk, I tramp. Fine. A unicorn prances, a dinosaur stomps, and a shark swims into a book. Is that better? Much better. The unicorn, the dinosaur, and the shark are very happy to be here because this just might be the best book ever. It's okay, I guess. Where's the food? Meh. I have been in better books. We'll stop there. Thank you. Unless you want me to. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, because uh, you know, our librarians, uh, they uh, have to read them over and over, as we talked about during the Red Bud Challenge. And, you know, it's just uh, really nice to hear you say that out loud and, and read some of it. Tell us about your uh, passion uh, for librarians and libraries. Before we started recording earlier, you mentioned that, and I kind of wanted you to to speak to that again. Well, um, you know, like I was saying earlier, I, I when I get fan mail, um, you know, that makes me sound like a superstar, <laughs> which I'm not. 
But when I get letters of appreciation, let's put them that way, um, for what I do, it really is a high percentage of what I get is from librarians and teachers as well. Um, and they're just very supportive and very willing to just, I mean, very quick to just write a note and say, hey, we like what what you do and we enjoy reading what you do. And that is just, I mean, you know, when you when you go visit schools or you read to children and you see their faces light up, I mean, that that makes it all worth it. But I don't know that librarians understand how motivating that is as well to hear from them because they, you know, like I said, make the children's world go around, in my opinion, librarians and teachers, because if it's not channeled through them, that's not getting into the hands of the readers. And so um, I just, when I go to meet, you know, if I do a sign at like an ALA meeting or something like that, there's always a line of librarians and they're willing to wait to get their book signed and talk to you. And it just, it just moves me because I'm like, you're, you know, this is, you, you love this so much. I just want librarians to know that what, how motivating that is. So school visits, uh, do you like to do school visits? Do you do them virtually or in person or are you just so busy creating that you don't, uh, don't do that? Well, right now, actually, I'm so busy creating that I don't do a lot of um, school. I'll do some locally, but I do a lot of Zoom. I mean, I've got two different Zoom things next week. I went to our local school, which is half a mile up the road on um, Monday night. I was there reading. So, I mean, that is something I really enjoy because just interacting with kids. I usually read to them. I draw with them, which is my favorite part because, you know, having to draw along and seeing what they do is just, you know, it's just so much, so much fun. And some of them give me a run for my money in the illustration department. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, so, yes, I, I do do them. I have greatly curtailed them. Well, since COVID, actually, it kind of that that made, you know, that made force me to step back and do Zoom. And then now I'm actually, you know, I've got like five, six projects. I'm in the middle of various stages of manuscript tweaking or final illustrations and I just don't have a lot of time to travel. Um, doing a school visit if you want to do it right requires a lot, at least on my end, requires a lot of prep. Like I build like a, a, a document that I can, you know, so they, it can be on the screen and, you know, it just a lot, it's a lot of work. Um, and, um, you know, so unfortunately right now I don't do a lot of school visits, but I do do visits regularly because that's usually a shorter visit and you know, it's once instead of three times a day, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. <laughs> so if they decide to try to set up a virtual visit with you, just have them contact you through their web, through your website. Is that the best yeah, way? Website I get it. If they want to go to, you know, it's my website, jonathanbinsky.com. Um, yeah, there's a place to contact me and it comes straight to my email. And sometimes it'll take a while. I'm not the best as my, as anybody who's ever texted me or emailed me will will say, I mean, I'm not a big technology guy, I guess is the way to put it. I don't enjoy um, having a smartphone necessarily and being always reachable. Um, so that maybe dates me a bit. <laughs> but um, I will I will get back to you, I hope. I will try. But um, I do, yeah, 
Um, if you go through my website, those usually pop up pretty quickly, and I try to hop on it right away. We've had an absolute blast uh, meeting with you today, um, and we've been speaking with Jonathan Finsky, the 2024 Redbud nominee for A Unicorn, A Dinosaur, and A Shark Walk Into a Book, two-time Geisel Honor Award winner, and uh, so many other great books that need to be in everybody's library. So make sure you search for his name, and if you don't have all of his books, please put them in your libraries. And uh, thank you so much, Jonathan, for <laughs> hanging out with us today. Thank you so much, Colin Kidd. I love what you do. I'm uh, uh, I'm honored to be included in what you do. Thank you so much, and best of luck to whoever ends up, you know, being at the top of the bracket at the end. <laughs> I'm in great company, so uh, yeah, very fortunate. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Well, thanks again to Jonathan Finsky and Charlie Grandy for joining us. Um, that is the last of the Red Buds that we have actually interviewed. We are still hoping to bring a few more um, Red Bud authors on. We are hoping to um, expand outside of the Red Bud. So hopefully you'll see some fun stuff uh, moving forward. But we're just thankful that you chose in this week of Thanksgiving to uh, spend a few minutes with us. Yes, we definitely enjoy bringing this information to you. Uh, one thing to look forward to uh, next week, as we said before, we're going to have you know lots of great ideas for uh, Christmas read-alouds and activities for the library, and uh, that'll be a fun uh, a fun podcast next week talking about those. And a lot of the stuff that we talk about on the podcast, you can also find in our newsletters. So if you have not signed up for our newsletter then please email us at brownbrothersbooks at gmail.com if you're not getting it. Um, And we would love to have you subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts or subscribe on YouTube. Everybody, thanks so much for joining us and have a great week. Happy Happy Thanksgiving.